As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to the Football's Coming Home podcast and our coverage of Football's Coming Home 2021. On the 26th of July 1966, England beat Portugal 2-1 at Wembley Stadium to reach a major final for the first time in its history. On July 7th, 2021, England beat Denmark 2-1 at Wembley Stadium to reach a major tournament final for the second time in its history. After semi-final heartbreak in 1990, after semi-final heartbreak in 1996, after semi-final heartbreak in 2018, after a 55-year absence from the top table, England have done it. Look, England is an unpopular nation. Just ask Graham Rutherford. We Brexited, we're disliked by much of Europe, deservedly so. There are many awful things about us. Look at the game that happened here against Denmark. We boo opposing national anthems, some boo taking the knee. We have a lot of shortcomings, but this sport is in our veins and an entire nation that has been denied so many times now stands on the precipice of being denied on an even bigger stage. This one's for you, Charles Darwin. This one's for you, William Shakespeare. This one's for you, Florence Nightingale. This one's for you, Isaac Newton. This one's not for you, Boris Johnson. You don't deserve nice things. On the night, the Danes were dangerous and they've had an incredible journey, but the Three Lions journey has been even more incredible. A bad penalty call? Sure. A bad penalty kick? Yeah, absolutely. But a win that has a nation bouncing? Yes, indeed. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today on the Football's Coming Home podcast is the personification of a silver ball being delivered to a referee via a tiny car, Taylor Rockwell. That was amazing, my friend. How, how Did you have that full thing written out, typed out, ready to go, or was it at least semi-improvised? 
Uh, I wrote that. I thought of that uh, just as a final whistle went after extra time. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, and thank you as well for for comparing me uh, to the car because that is I know Graham's like favorite moment of action in this game. Uh, it, well, at least it was until Denmark went ahead, but that's probably his second favorite one. So I feel honored uh, to get that title. Yeah, much. We're going to do a tight ten minutes on the car and the silver ball, the pinball being uh, being played around. I was hoping it would be like multi-ball pinball in extra time because of the color of the ball. Also, last night we denied that. But anyway, also here is a man who's definitely happy with all VAR decisions pertaining to Wembley Stadium on this eve. It's Graham Ruffin. Uh yeah, that's definitely me, Ryan. Uh, I mean, you do you do realize it was just Denmark, right? <laughs> just two second tier nations slugging it out in a semi-final like two like two teams that aren't who aren't used to getting that far in a tournament yeesh yeah hi Graham also here is Joe Lowry who knows that all England have to do is beat an Italy team who are far better than England but hey miracles can happen right Joe right right is that right right Joe right yeah right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Ryan, it is right. First of all, congratulations to you. Second of all, since you've taken it upon yourself to rebrand this show, I'm assuming we're going to need a new logo. And so I'm wondering if we do rebrand to what the football is coming home show, can we give the third lion a little bit more space? Can we expand his territory so we can have all three lions of equal size? Just a just a question. Yeah, we're an equal lion employer here at the Football's Coming Home Perfect. podcast. Don't worry can, about that, Joe. Can we have the three lions in the tiny football car? Yes. Oh, now we're thinking. This is, this like, is good. Like, <laughs> like, like mean girls. Get in. Does, the, does, the, does the, uh, the one that's been crammed into the bottom of the crest for so long, does it at least get to drive? Does it get shotgun? Are we even going to put that one in the backseat? That one gets special treatment because that is the tiny car carrying a silver ball of the nation, Taylor. That's what it is right now. Um, by the way, I, I I happened to miss the earlier semi-final, the Italy um, semi-final uh, last night because I was traveling back to the UK. Oh, that's why boat. you're so positive then. <laughs> you didn't watch that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on an overnight flight, I must admit. Um, I'm a little groggy today, but my spirits have been somewhat lifted by the game we've seen here. Um, but once again, gentlemen, I have to inform you this victory of England's is down to me once again uh, as I've as mentioned many times on this podcast on every game that England have won in this tournament I've gone for a run and listened to the song Three Lions by Bedil Skinner and Lightning Seeds at least twice often up to five times I got um, I got to the UK at 8 a.m. this morning. I fought the jet lag and it was pouring with rain and it is freezing cold where I am in the southwest of England right now but I did it my country needs me. My country needs me, guys. And I did it. And you know what? It works. I'm glad I isn't feeling lazy and jet lagged this morning. And uh, so basically, you go, uh, Graham, you need to try and stop me running on Sunday somehow, I guess. Yes, I, I'm, you're going to find me outside your wherever you're staying at the moment. And I'm just going to rugby tackle you to the ground. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start my journey. As soon as we finish recording, I'm on my way to get there for the morning to stop you from running. There has been a little bit of speculation that Graham would maybe be heading uh, down south to try to make something happen to prevent Ryan from having uh, the day he would like to have. So I am now a little bit concerned with the way this introduction has gone that that might actually end up happening. Just just rugby tackling you or bear hugging you is, is a lot less sinister than, you know, like kneecapping you to stop you from running. <laughs> that would that would be quite extreme. But uh, Graham, I would say fair in these in this in this situation. Graham, we know your disdain for physical affection. You know that rugby tackling and, and bear hugging will involve some sort of physical contact. <laughs> oh, this Ryan, is a good right? point. It's going to have to be a kneecap in Ryan. 
There you go. Oh, there okay. it is. Much better. Much better. <laughs> uh, all I hope, Graham, is that when you're out skateboarding later on this week, you don't meet a mad scientist with a badly made Irish car who makes you go back in time and uh, and, and fix this tournament for Scotland's uh, pleasure instead of England. So, so make sure you don't do anything like that. Um, the other thing I was going to mention off the top, gents, is uh, my children, who are five and eight years old, who are now... <laughs> Very much accustomed to this England team being a minimum semi-final team and now a finalist team. They know nothing. They know nothing of the hurt that most English fans have been through over the past several decades. Yes, technically my oldest daughter was alive uh, during the Euro 2016, of which we do not talk. But uh, yeah, very very much um, (laughs) used to England being a good thing. And uh, maybe that continues for the rest of their mortal lives. And I'll be okay with that, Graham. How do you feel about that? Uh, I w- I'll, pa- I'll pass on that. I'll, I'll pass on that, that timeline and I will um, accept another timeline. Please give me your we next have, one. We have genuinely moved into a territory where I sort of feel bad that I put this group of people together because Graham has been <laughs> subjected to this for as long as he has. Graham, I, know. I, I, why, I, I am sorry, my friend. Why could this podcast, why could this have not been Euro 2016? Uh, this, <laughs> I've been forced to talk to an Englishman every day for the past month. <laughs> Uh, during a tournament where they've made the, their first final since 1966. <laughs> I mean, if this isn't proof of, of Scot- the Scottish people's bad fortune, I don't know what is. This has all just been an elaborate trolling campaign, Graham. Like, we were hired by your wife just to bother you for a month straight. <laughs> so that's what we've done. It's a, it's a very elaborate ruse, but uh, but I think it's worked pretty well. Yeah, I've enjoyed my role as the heel character. I'm actually a rather Shakespeare actor in my uh, in my usual role, Graham, and I will be returning to that after this tournament, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, we should probably talk about this tournament, though, and the semi-final that occurred at Wembley Stadium on Wednesday evening. England against Denmark. England coming out 2-1 winners after extra time because, of course, we had extra time in this one. Uh, I'd like to refer to this one as the Battle of the Inverse Flags because, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the St. George's Cross is the inverse of the Danish flag. <laughs> Is that right? Does that sound right? Uh, is the Danish one maybe slightly off centre? Potentially, right. it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're off centre in uh, other ways, I suppose, Graham. But um, <laughs> this one was, uh, yeah, uh, this one proving that England could come back. On, uh, firstly, proving that England could concede a goal, but also come back from conceding a goal. Uh, Mikael Damsgaard uh, getting the Danes off of the mark with a long-range free kick from a foul that shouldn't be given against Luke Shaw. We can get to that later. Uh, Simon Kjaer getting an own goal for the equaliser and Harry Kane rebounding in a dodgy penalty in extra time to seal it for England. Before we get to the action, though, gents, uh, Joseph, I'd like to come to you first. Can we talk about the setup of these teams? I was I saw when the 4-2-3-1 came out for England, um, I thought, OK, they're sticking with the shape that did, that did well against Ukraine and not not being tempted to go back to the back three with the wing backs to try and limit limit Denmark going forward in any way. Was that the correct decision? Obviously it was because we won, but how did you feel about that? I was a little bit puzzled, right? Because on yesterday's show, Taylor Graham and I talked about how, or at least I mentioned, I think Graham did as well, that England could try to mirror Denmark's shape to do what they did against Germany and, and go 3-4-3 versus 3-4-3. That didn't happen, as you're saying, Ryan. And I think it worked out really well. I think Gareth Southgate's plan to go with a 4-2-3-1 that sometimes looked like a 4-3-3 depending on the phase of play and depending on the positioning of Mason Mountain, Calvin Phillips, I think it worked out really well because... Denmark wasn't nearly as aggressive as they thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to come out and really try to control the ball, and they did in moments. But really, they were content almost from the opening stages of this game with a few segments of this match aside 
Denmark was pretty content to defend in a 5-4-1 block or a 5-2-3 block if they wanted to be a little more aggressive in their own half, but they would defend in their own half, which then kind of takes away the need to mirror a shape, right? If you're going 3-4-3 versus 3-4-3, you have a lot of natural 1v1 man-to-man matchups all over the field. But I tend to think of that, and maybe this is wrong, but I tend to think of that mostly as a defensive benefit. You're trying to constrict space. You're trying to limit those opportunities for the opposing team to create numerical advantages. If everything's 1v1, there's no real advantages. And as a defensive team, that's a pretty good thing in most circumstances as long as you have talent. So because England ended up having more of the ball than I thought they would in this game, Gira Southgate's 4-2-3-1 worked because they had advantages in different areas. Harry Kane would drop in front of or behind Thomas Delaney and Hoiberg in midfield for Denmark. He was able to drift and create chances and create numerical advantages. Same with Raheem Sterling, drifting inside from that left wing and, and finding the ball and crashing the box from the left half space. I mean, I think the positioning really did work. I think the shape worked. England didn't dazzle anybody with their possession play. They had a couple good moments as, they, as they've had in almost all of the games in this tournament. But by and large, they were pretty stale. But their staleness really does work to their advantage because it kept Denmark pinned back for large stretches of this game. Yeah, Joe, I agree with everything you said. And I would add two little wrinkles in there would be, I think Mason Mount continuing to do, uh, forgive me if you already pointed this one out, but Mason Mount continuing to drop in and be that kind of third, usually left-sided central midfielder gives gives England a, an... Uh, a like benefit or a bonus of having that one extra midfielder. So it limits Denmark's ability to play centrally, which I don't think they would have done anyway. I think their plan was probably to try to go the way they did against the Czech Republic, which is that when England's fullbacks would get forward or would be a little bit stretched, they could attack uh, da- like between them or get in behind them, which is exactly how Denmark were able to score at least their opener. I think the difference would be that, number one, England's fullbacks are better and I think less likely to maybe be caught out in that way. But also when you have the pace of, say, Kyle Walker, you really are covered if if Denmark want to try to kind of go long down that channel. And that is where the, I think they tended to try to go when they did go direct. And it just didn't really work. And so that major counterattacking threat was nullified pretty quickly. And I think that's another reason why Denmark were maybe precipitated into staying deeper and not getting stretched. Graham, your thoughts on England shaping this one and maybe some of the personnel. Lots of lots to be said about the three behind Harry Kane here. It was Bakayo Saka who started on the right-hand side, presumably to deal with Mela um, coming up against him there. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, listen to what the what Taylor and, and Joe were saying there. I, I, I largely agree with what they were saying, although what I would mention was there was about a 15 to 20 minute period in the first half where I felt like the, the midfield two of Rice and Phillips were the, basically Hoiberg and Delaney, to my, to my eye, it seemed like they were getting the, the better of them. And I, I felt a lack of progressive passes from Rice and Phillips and a little bit of a disconnect with Mount was uh, contributing to that issue. And I, there was a, there was a period in this match where England seemed to be quite flustered. You know, Southgate was out on the touchline. He was telling people to calm down. Jordan Pickford was very flustered and seemed like he had a big mistake in him for, for a lot of this match. But it was a period around about the time when, when Denmark scored where everything just seemed to be, everyone was very, was very wired in, but not in a, not in a particularly good way. You know, everyone seemed to be, um, you know, a, a little bit over the top. Um, in terms of their, their intensity and it took, I thought, I noticed it was Kyle Walker in particular. It took him to, um, kind of control things in terms of playing 
on the ground, compact passes, just for England to regain a little bit of control. And after that, it, the rest of the match kind of panned out as you as you would expect and expect. And the system did work for England, but I, I did think there were flaws in 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 that kind of fifteen twenty minute spell. And that's actually been a trend throughout this tournament for England as they start very well. And then after about 15, 20 minutes, they, they drop off and there's been a lull in every single game they play. It happened against Ukraine as, as well as England played in that game and the second half was very impressive. And again, that seemed to happen here where England really, um, even though they didn't get the goal, they, they really kind of suffocated Denmark and, and, in, in the second half and into extra time as well. But the, the, the first half was, I, I felt was, was, was quite even. And at halftime, I didn't, I didn't totally know what to expect from England in the second half. I, I did expect that that Denmark would tire a little bit, um, and that was a big factor in how this how this match panned out for me. But um, yeah, I mean Southgate before the tournament, I'll mention again. I said I said I thought he was England's weak link. I think he has very much proved me and a, and a number of other people wrong. This the system has sustained England, and yet there's this there's still this paradox of it's the thing that's got England this far, and yet a lot of people, maybe even myself included, feels like it's the thing holding them back ever so slightly. But I guess that's tournament football. International football is a bit like that sometimes. Graham, do you feel like there's a, an argument that like teams and and maybe Denmark in this case can game plan for that? Because my assumption heading into this one was that basically Denmark would try to get through those opening minutes. Most teams tend to not want to not get through those opening minutes. Uh, but I think if you can weather that storm, to your point, I think you can frustrate England. You can sort of make them go to plan B or plan C pretty quickly. And that historically has been a problem for them so is that a thing that like looking ahead to maybe the final like could you see Italy trying to game plan for that or maybe do you think England or Italy won't necessarily have to worry about sort of weathering that opening storm um potentially and, and the Italy one the Italy matchup is, a, is an interesting one and I wrote this in a piece just after full time there in that the many of the threats that England are going to face from Italy are similar to the ones that, that Denmark posed obviously shape wise you know there's there's going to be there's going to be wing backs going to be a back three there's going to be I know it's I know Italy play a three rather than Denmark play a two in the in the, in the middle but there's a there's a, a midfield that will try and control the game and there's a good balance so in a way now that England are through that match it's it, it, this is this is a good preparation for what they'll face from from Italy and and on um, on the flip side I think Italy will look at some of the success that Denmark had as I mentioned when they did reduce the match to Hoiberg and Delaney versus Rice and Phillips. I personally felt that they had a little bit of an edge there. Um, and it wasn't till there was a bit of a change of approach from England in that first half where they, they kind of regained control a little bit. But, um, one of the things that I think Italy will need to improve on, I, I expected more overloads, particularly on, on the left side from Myla in this match. I really thought with England, I expected Southgate to go to a back five for this match, actually, like he did for the Germany match to match up against them. And, and so I, I feared for England in, in the back four against the, the Danish unit of five that Kyle Walker in particular might, might have a little bit too much on his plate. And, and that didn't really materialize at any point in the match. So that's something I think Italy will be looking to improve on when, when, when they play them on Sunday. Absolutely. Good stuff, gents. Much more on this game after we take this quick break to learn about products and services. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Joseph Lowry, I'd like to come to you and talk a little bit about Denmark. Is there anything else you wanted to cover off about their formation? Maybe about the way they use substitutes as well. They made five. Um, some impactful players in this tournament, Damsburg, uh, Dolberg, uh, and Delaney going off. Delaney after, I think it was his one billionth foul that he was eventually taken off in the 88th minute. So um, any, anything anything more on the on the Danes? Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about Domsgaard, or as we learned, or at least I learned on the broadcast, apparently, Casper uh, Hillman refers to him sometimes as Domzinho, which is very nice. fitting because he's just epic, right? I, I love watching Domsgaard play. He gets that free kick goal, but he's just such an impactful player in this game. He is right-footed, but his left foot is so strong as well. So he's he's very unpredictable. Two-footed players tend to be very unpredictable because you really don't know which way they're going to go. You don't really know which way Domsgaard's going to go. And I, I just think he is a brilliant player and he fits so well, or he fits so well on the left side of Denmark's front three in this game. Uh, the, the other thing really that stood out to me about Denmark is just how quick their combination play was. And I know this isn't substitution related or really where you were leading me with this question, Ryan, but I think the, the biggest thing that really stood out to me was how quick they play when they had the ball, which is another reason why I was a bit sad that they didn't get more of the ball in this game. In the first half, in the stretch that maybe Graham's talking about, and even in the first 15 minutes of the second half, I thought right up to the 60th minute, Denmark did threaten when they had the ball with their quick combination play. Domsgaard would either make a run in behind or he'd drop into midfield. Uh, Brathwaite, Brathwaite can do the same thing. Delaney and Hoiberg are so 
quick with their combination play, and they're also very good with their off-ball movement. If they don't have the ball, if one of them doesn't have the ball, they'll make a run forward. Even when the center backs can push up into central midfield, all three of Vestergaard and Kyer and Christensen, each one of them made a run into central midfield in this game. There's just so much to like from this Denmark team with how they use the ball. I was disappointed because to me, and I don't really know how to to quantify this, but from the 60th minute on, for the second half in terms of the 120-minute game, Denmark just looked tired to me. It looked like they had been worn out. They didn't have the ability to really get forward and, and get their foot on the ball until the second period of extra time, and that's only because England let them have the ball because they were up, England's up 2-1 at that point. So I, I wanted a little bit more from Denmark in this game. Maybe the subs play a part in that, maybe not. Maybe the change to a 3 5 2 Plays a part in that, but I actually thought that looked kind of good in, in certain moments with Norgard coming in for Dolberg in the 67th minute. It, it's a tough game for Denmark. They didn't create as much as I, I thought they had the ability to do, but uh, I don't know. There's really no way to look at this where England wasn't the better team in my eyes, at least. Joe, uh, uh, to go to go like with a couple points you made there, I do think that that change in the 67th when when it is the triple change, I think that is such an important part of this game. It It, it is... I think an example of where Casper uh, Hillman is proving himself once again to be a very capable and and wise and observant manager. And I think if maybe this is their a more rested team, a little bit deeper team, I think we have a a more challenging game. I think from a Danish attacking perspective. But in my notes, I have in the 60th minute, uh, I have an expletive in there that I will leave out for purposes <laughs> of keeping this podcast family friendly. But it was Kyle Walker is very fast. You can guess what the expletive was uh, because it was Denmark trying to play direct when England had committed numbers forward. There were gaps there. And it's one of those ones where Schmeichel gets the ball and immediately tries to boot it long uh, for for uh, Domsgaard. And he has a few yards on the defense and Kyle Walker just comes blazing past, wins the ball. And to me, I'm not saying it's necessarily the exact moment, but it feels like in that moment, Hillman uh, sees that and thinks we're not beating them on the counter. We're not beating them with pace. And that's when they go 5-3-2. That's when you have Paulson come on and it's a very much sort of two central strikers, uh, two target strikers at that with Brathwaite alongside him. You have the three in the middle to continue to kind of clog and prevent England from pulling anybody apart, even when Harry Kane drops in. But then with that back five, you can cover the channels so you don't have open crosses and sort of overloads out there for quick combinations that England were definitely looking for. So I think in that moment, Kyle Walker almost killed off the attacking spirit for Denmark and made them go more defensive for the rest of the game. Yeah, he made a couple of very good, impressive recoveries in, in that in that vein, Taylor. I, I agree with you there. And I'm kind of glad that Denmark didn't have enough of the ball in the attacking third because when they did, particularly earlier in the game, it felt very threatening for England. It seemed like almost, I mentioned this in the chat, that they were kind of targeting Jordan Pickford as well. They are putting a lot of pressure on him, certainly during those early set pieces. Uh, they intercepted one of his, uh, someone intercepted a throw he was trying to get out of the box. And Taylor, as you mentioned, when you went semi-viral, they kind of caught him out with the wall for the open opening goal as well yeah it was it was uh we have that phrase master set piece theater it definitely was that uh because there's a double wall here there's the english wall set up to defend uh and then there's a gap and then there's a sort of danish wall there so that jordan pickford can see the ball and this is i think an intentional sort of baiting by denmark because he sets up to be able to see it the whole way and then just as Damsgaard is about to start his run, that wall slides over. They block everything Pickford is able to see, and I think that's why he gets a, a relatively slow read on it and has to kind of react to it a little bit later. And the other key piece of evidence for this one would be that Andreas Christensen, I think it is, is 
if you're if you're in the Danish wall facing uh, Damsgaard as he's getting ready to take it, when they slide over, Christensen lets there be a little bit of separation because I believe Kyle Walker is is also standing there, and so they almost build Kyle Walker into their uh, obstruction in this case. And I th- just thought the way that was game planned, we've seen that in a couple different times in this tournament that teams that bring in set piece consultants and set piece experts, and Denmark have done that do tend to have different looks and different ideas for how to deal with things. And on this occasion, I think it worked really well. I would also point out, it's a really interesting one. I I wrote, like, I think this is maybe a reference just for Joe uh, in terms of the people who are here right now, but it felt a little bit like pass interference because Denmark have a free kick, I think like 40 or 50 yards from goal. And then as they take it, there's a foul further up and the free kick gets moved up. And it felt like pass interference in the NFL, move 30 yards up the field and try it again. (laughs) Definitely so. Uh, Graham, something about Denmark which really stood out to me was their defending, obviously, which obviously they're quite renowned for at this tournament. It seemed like they were experts in frustrating in, in just leaving no space at all in the box, you know, um, really stifling Sterling's ability to, to get in and make passes. There were several instances where Sterling seemed to have four red shirts around him when he sort of entered the box, and there was still enough coverage uh, in, in the rest of the defensive area as well. It was very impressive the way they, they were frustrating England for much of the game. Yeah, it was. But I also felt like England kind of played into their hands at times. Um, I, I think we spoke in the chat. I didn't like the, the Grealish substitution at all. I, I felt like if there was going to be a change at that point of the match, what I wanted was for Southgate to break up the, the midfield two of, of, of Rice and Phillips, bring on, bring on someone like uh, Jordan Henderson, move the midfield closer to Mount and then still have Sterling and Saka as the, as the two out balls. Um, or you could even have, you know, Sancho could come on for Saka. That's the sort of change that I, I would have made and um, because of that worked really well against uh, Ukraine in the quarterfinals but Grealish obviously the way that he likes to play is he's much more central he's not so much of a, a winger I know Southgate does see him as a as a wide man as such but he he drives inside and to be honest I, at times I did struggle to work out what his actual position was in this England team because he did seem to be playing very centrally a, a, a lot of times and I, I just felt like it contributed to England being a lot more kind of congested in the middle and making it a little bit easier for, for Denmark if they have a, a defensive weakness as obviously as tends to be the case with with the back fives or three with the two wing backs as there is space between the you know the 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 left and right sided centre backs and the and and the wing backs and I just felt at that point of the match it felt like that's where England should be targeting and obviously laterally in extra time that's where the the penalty comes from you know they 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 go into this shape where for me it looked like a lot of the time it was actually four in attack with Foden really pushing up high to the point where he was he was the the furthest forward forward player with Kane a lot of the time and then you have Sterling on the right and that's uh, you know where he wins the penalty from but yeah the Denmark Denmark are a, a strong defensive unit we saw that here Simon Kyer as well again he's been one of the the players of the tournament for me just in terms of how much he repels how he keeps that that back line in check and in, in line and not really allowing much space in behind for Sterling and Saka to break into but I did feel England at times played into their hands a little bit Taylor I've got a question for you Picture yourself... I hopefully have an answer. Oh, I hope you do. Picture yourself as Jack Grealish. You've got lovely floppy Mm -hmm. hair, tiny shin pads, you like to break COVID protocols all the time. And you, every time your your image goes up on the screen at Wembley Stadium, the crowd cheer. You are the fan uh-huh. favorite. They want you to start every game. You finally get your chance in this game to make an impact in the 69th minute. Nice. 
and then you come, <laughs> <laughs> and then you are pull, you are pulled off, and not in the way that Jack Grealish might enjoy in the one hundred and sixth minute. Wow! So you only wait, get forty five minutes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go in that direction. But Graham, you is this get, what it feels like? Is this what it feels like? I get it now. <laughs> I get it. You get, my point being, Taylor, you only get forty five yeah. minutes on the field. You get subbed mm-hmm. on and subbed off again. That can't be good for one's confidence, can it? Um, it cannot. I, I will say I am very excited for Jack Grealish's autobiography because this is definitely going to be in there. And we're yeah. going to find out what exactly happened here because there's a reality in which he's brought on to have an impact and told, you know, go, go try some things, go make things happen. But then is also sort of like clearly instructed that he'll be the one to make way if they need there to be a change. And that is exactly what happens. But then there's another reality in which he's maybe sent on not as prepared as he could have been, like in terms of the prep that given to him about what he needed to do and the spaces he needed to take up. Uh, and I think Graham is absolutely right that then where he where he kind of is positioned gets confusing and muddled at times. There's moments when Sterling playing on the right drifts over to the left because it felt like that was where he was having joy and he wanted to go back over there and do it again. And it does reach a point at which I was really confused in my notes. I missed that he had been substituted and I kept trying to figure out like, is he injured? Is he off the pitch? Are they playing shorthanded? And eventually after way too long of a period, I realized he hit, he had been sort of the make way. And I I think if you're looking at the other players that could have been there, I think Graham was maybe the one to message this, but if it was Ryan, uh, then I'm going to credit Graham anyway, but uh, it like, it does make sense. I don't know who else you would have taken off in that moment but that doesn't mean it's going to make it any, it doesn't matter how logical or rational it is. I think for the player, it's going to hurt, even if they've been told, hey, you're likely to be the one to be substituted, so do what you can while you can. It's still going to bother you. It's still going to be just a little bit uh, sadder than he would have been if he'd stayed on and they'd won. Yeah, I think that it was the right call to take him off at that point because as you alluded to in the chat there, I don't know who you, else you would have taken off because of the front, the four, three players, he was the, the one who was the least effective at that point. Uh, but bringing him on also, I agree with Graham, that it was a mistake because Sterling and Shaw were doing some wonderful teaming up uh, on that left flat channel as indeed they have been doing for for, uh, for a lot of the time. And to have Sterling out on the right, it seemed like he was wasted and barely got any touches when he went out onto the right-hand side. So it, was, it just seemed like it, it disturbed the uh, the forces at the front of the England uh, lineup, if that makes any sense. Uh, do we yeah. want to um, have any discussions about the penalty incident and incidents? Joe, um, we had Harry Kane um, going down and uh, having a foul given against him, VAR, uh, confirming that the correct decision was made by the referee on the field. And then... Um, then we have Raheem Sterling going down with maybe uh, a softer penalty being given to England. How did you have any thoughts on that? Yes, it was plushy. It was very, 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 very <laughs> soft, right? Um, and man, I, I think I agree with Graham and Graham, your stance being that VAR is not something that we should talk about just because it's it's boring, kind of, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a lot of insight into the referee's decision here. It is an extremely soft penalty. If I'm Denmark. I feel extremely hard done by in this moment. But I will say for, for Raheem Sterling, sell it. Sell it all day. I have no issue with that at all. It's not his responsibility. No, no. I mean, it's not his responsibility, in my view at least, 
to police the game, right? That's the referee's responsibility. And so I, I think at this point in, in global soccer, really, whether you're a proper English gentleman or, or whatever with this entire England team and, and people talking about how they don't flop or whatever, I think if you're not doing that, if you're not selling contact, you're not taking av- advantage of an opportunity to win games. And so Raheem Sterling takes cheating, advantage. You trying, man. If you yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> He's taking advantage of this loophole and taking advantage and trying to sway the game in England's favor. And he does that successfully. I don't really have an issue with his actions at all. I, I don't have any issue with that. I think it's a soft penalty, but I mean, that doesn't take away from his contributions to the game. Okay, I would like to I would like to praise Joe for a moment, uh, if you if that's you don't cool mind, with Ryan, me, because that's at cool no with me. point in that entire answer <laughs> did Joe say the word that I was hoping he would not use, which was dive. And I think that is the thing that has been sort of like a very divisive thing, at least on social media has been, it was a dive, it wasn't a dive. And I I think that like, once again, we have a thing where the terminology being used is also what sort of leads to the debate being as divisive, because I don't know if it's a things can be two things sort of moment, but I think it's it's that there is contact. You can see it happen. He's at at full speed dribbling. There's a little bit of of, of a hit to his leg. And you can see it as he's reaching like for the next sort of stride with that right foot, the leg just kind of wobbles and it's because it's been hit. And when you don't know where the foot is going to land, that's how you have Achilles get ruptured in other games in this tournament. Because in that moment of instability, as you're like planting that foot, it's not exactly where you thought it would be. And so you can lose your footing. We've also seen many, many different times attackers sort of go on those slaloming runs where they're kind of off balance, but they end up course correcting and getting their footing and then scoring a goal. And here I think he's in the middle of that as there is that contact. So there is contact. It's not a dive. Then it goes to the question, as Joe has already talked about, of is it a soft penalty? And I think you could make that argument, certainly. But I just want to be very clear that I think people calling it a dive are doing it an injustice because a dive for me is no contact at all. You're just completely trying to sell it. And I think there is a little bit of salesmanship here, but it's like he's only getting a partial commission, not the full commission on the sale. <laughs> and I full think evidence, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. And uh-huh. I think the the final uh, thing for me that I think will be dissected a lot and probably would be if the call had gone a different way uh, is his post-match interview when he's describing the incident. I'm going to paraphrase it here because I didn't write it down exactly. But when they ask him about it, he says like, yeah, I was dribbling in the box and then I, he made contact. And there was just a second when he shifted (laughs) from I to he. And in that moment, I was like, did he say like, I anticipated contact? Like I was wondering what was about to come out before he pivoted. And I, I hope that gets broken down in Raheem Sterling's autobiography. You are all morally corrupt over this penalty. <laughs> well, um, firstly, I'll just like to say, I hope Jack Grealish's autobiography is called My Encyclopedia. Uh, see see earlier jokes. And, uh, um, Graham, let me, let me rephrase the line of questioning um, for you. Uh, so, so as not to talk about VAR specifically, but this incident. If, if, this, was, if this had happened to England and um, Denmark had gone through with this kind of incident, the media would be all over it as we was cheated. Do you think there's any cause for Denmark to feel as if they were cheated or will they generally feel best team won, it was marginal? Um, first thing to say is I um, I, I actually am also morally corrupt, corrupt and don't hold anything against Raheem Sterling for this. It's up to the, as Joe said, it's up to the referee to police the game. But I, I don't think I don't think it was a penalty. So yeah, absolutely. I think Denmark not necessarily cheated by Sterling, although I think some of them will likely, some of their fans will likely feel that way. But che- cheated a little bit by the 
the referee. I also didn't feel like the Kane the Kane one was a penalty either. To be perfectly honest, I, I didn't I didn't think it was a penalty kick in this game. But um, it's difficult when you know there's such a fine line between a team um, you know putting on a back to the, a, the perfect back to the wall job to get over the line and then uh, conceding a, a penalty like this. So I, I I don't think they'll look at it like oh we, well we lost to the we lost to the better team. I mean they were an extra time. They're ten minutes away from a shootout where you know anything can really happen. So. Yeah, I, I I thought it was incredibly harsh on them. Anybody else got any thoughts on that? Are English bakeries going to be lacking Danishes for the for the coming weeks in protest? Any any thoughts, Taylor? <laughs> Denmark's just going to cut off the supply. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They I don't think do they. Now. I don't think. I don't think they import the Danishes. I think they probably just make them in England. Graham, the Graham recipe. you're ruining the bit. Graham, Graham, you're ruining the bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Sorry, <laughs> it's all good. <sighs> Britain is a net importer, Graham. You yes, should know that as a, as a Brexit sufferer. <laughs> there it is, yeah. Taylor. <laughs> yeah, right. that's true. We, we have to make everything now because we can't import anything. <laughs> Correct. We've gone politically again. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back after these messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
Football's Coming Home podcast. We are back. We are talking about England against Denmark. Tete Rockwell, uh, your final thought on the uh, mm-hmm. on the game. Thought. Sorry. That was yeah, I have, I have two uh, final thoughts. One would be... Uh, <laughs> that's outstanding work by you. Two things. Uh, one would be... Uh, Stuart Robson was doing color commentary over here in the States, and I thought... He had a few different moments where I was sort of confused as to the point he was making, including at one point when Raheem Sterling at a different point of the game was like definitely just clipped from behind. There was an implication that Sterling had taken a dive there. And then when Harry Kane takes the penalty, the penalty is saved. And then Kane puts in the rebound on the replay. Stuart Robson speculating that Casper Schmeichel could have done better with that one. Was it was a was an interesting claim. I guess he wanted him to catch the penalty. That seemed a bit of a strange complaint. I think in the moment he was just trying to think of something to say, and maybe the slow-mo made it seem like he could have done better with it, but that that was an odd moment of commentary for me. I don't know if anybody else heard that one. To, to, to catch the penalty rather than bash it, bosh it away. Is that, what you, is that what he was saying? I, 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 I'm assuming that's what he was saying should have happened. I think we had a few people uh, when that was mentioned speculating that what he expected was for Kasper Schmeichel to not only get a hand to it, but then to punch it all the way back down the field and into the England goal. And only then... <laughs> Would Stuart Robson have been impressed by the performance? <laughs> that's uh, a bit much. So that's one thing, but obviously Harry Kane uh, scores the goal. England go ahead two to one, and I thought there was a sequence at the very, very end that I don't know. It stood out. It stood out in a very positive way, albeit in a very boring way. But that's what England wanted. Uh, England win the ball off of uh, Mela with uh, in the 116th minute and 30 seconds. 116.30. Kyle Walker is the one to collect the the loose ball. He carries it forward, and this is where we have England do their second. This time, it's a bit more appropriate sort of passing maneuver into the corner and then out of the corner and back into the corner. I went back and and tracked this one. So again, Walker gets the ball at 116.30. The final pass out of play is by Calvin Phillips at 119.13, which is two minutes and 43 seconds. In that time, they completed 54 passes consecutively. That's the Ole period of this game. And uh, Spanish, uh, I think, coaches are applauding that one. But I would say... To me, like in that moment when in the past we've seen teams kind of bunker and and just try to hold on and, and not let the other team get any sort of a foothold by backing off and giving them the opportunity to attack, you do give them a foothold. You do give them more opportunities. They get set pieces. They get corners. And at the very least, they build a sense of momentum, a sense of belief. And if you are England and you can possess the ball for almost th- three minutes in the final five minutes – it, it just completely kills the game because now Denmark have to chase and chase and chase. They get tired. England are letting the ball do the work. They're playing one and two touch passes pretty consistently, pretty consecutively. And I, I thought it was just such an interesting moment that instead of panicking, instead of rushing, instead of just booting the ball clear and holding on, England possessed in a way that I would expect other teams to do and to see them do it, I think, should should give you even more confidence, Ryan. It does, and but it also panicked me because I wanted some of that possession to be more sterile because, <laughs> as you say, Denmark were letting England get through and get into the final third. And there were several, position, uh, several moments where like Phil Foden was completely alone in the box yeah. and a simple swing in, swing in, uh, swung in ball from Raheem Sterling would have you know put the ball at his feet. But they, I was like, no, don't take that. Just play it back. Play it back to Calvin Phillips and knock it through the middle again. That's fine. <laughs> Which was, an, yep. that happened several times during that period of possession, as you mentioned, Taylor. So that was an intriguing one as a fan to see your team do that and yet not be too worried about it as well yeah so i I thought just a a very strong way to end the game for england uh ryan i'm very happy for you graham i apologize sorry graham one more question for you though graham what if if you are still there if you haven't left in disgust um (laughs) casper hulmund we have spoken about him many times during this tournament 
Uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna be a, a wanted man in many ways after this tournament, right? Yep, next Scotland manager, I think, uh, right there. <laughs> he wanted like a good job, though, won't he? <laughs> oh, Ryan, why why do you have to kick us when we're down? <laughs> we're, we're out. Oh, we're, we we we've been out this tournament a long time, but yes, Hillman, uh I've been hugely impressed with him. Arguably the most impressive manager at this whole tournament and um i think he will you're you're very much correct he will be on the radar of of a lot of clubs and i look forward to him replacing patrick vieira uh, at crystal palace in uh, in in march of next year and then probably being sacked by uh, may because uh, that's crystal palace for you vieira makes it through march you think interesting okay november yeah that's better, a fair point better okay better uh taylor any thoughts on whether humans will end up in the premier league anytime soon I think I think Graham's pretty much pretty much nailed it there. Although, uh, I I I I kind of want him to go to Wimbledon somehow, just to just to give Ryan that sense of happiness. Tennis. But then also, if it doesn't go well for us all to have uh, a reason to belittle Wimbledon and Ryan all the more. Nobody belittles Wimbledon. Nobody puts Wimbledon in the corner, Taylor Rockwell. Nobody. Um, <laughs> why don't we, for the last few minutes of this pod, gents, have a little look ahead to the final. I think we'll go more in depth with uh, with some preview later on, but it's going to be Italy against England. Uh, Taylor, I'll, I'll ask you this. At the start of the tournament, if you were told the finalists would be Italy and England, would you think you crazy? I, no, I can tell you my exact reaction. It would have been like... Uh, yeah, okay, no, I can see that. Like, it really is, because they are in that category of teams that, if not the outright favorites, you look at their rosters, you look at the way they've been performing heading into this tournament, and it does give you an idea that they're very good, they're very deep. If things go their way, if some things work out well, you can see how they get there. And then I think after that first game, uh, I, I was pretty convinced by England, or excuse me, by Italy. England, it took a little bit longer, and I think that's mostly because England just had, like, they they're so like nervous England, the England fan base, the English tabloids. I think Ryan, you brought up an ITV jinx, I think before the game even started. Like, I think there's just so (laughs) much self doubt about this England team that it makes it hard to ever say like, yep, they're going to do it. They're going to make the final. But I think in the end, it's two teams that I'm not wholly surprised have made it all the way. Joe Lowry, me worried about Italy. Why me not be worried about Italy? Uh, you not be worried about Italy because Italy wasn't all that good with the ball against Spain. I think that's the biggest thing that England can latch on to for this game coming up on Sunday. Italy struggled with their possession and building through Spain's press, especially in that first half uh, yesterday as we're recording on Wednesday evening. I think Italy, I, I said this on yesterday's show, they need to be sharper as they approach the final. They need to be cleaner on the ball. They need to be crisper with their possession and and have an idea of how to break through England, because England are such a strong defensive team, and they might not press as high as Spain pressed in that game, but they're not an easy team to break down. Denmark had a hard time breaking them down. Uh, so Italy, who are a probably a better possession team than Denmark, but not by a, a huge margin, Italy are going to need to be sharper. And if they're not, Ryan, England have a real chance. Even if they are, England have a real chance to win this game. So it is coming home. Graham, your <laughs> thoughts on that? I, I, I've, I've all, I'm picturing this one as being... A very, very dangerous game for England and one in which they could be rather embarrassed. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts to the contrary? Um, 
that's very much what I'm hoping for. <laughs> uh, and I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm so enthused about the next few days of build up to this game. I mean, I'm really looking forward to hearing about, uh, Bakayo Sako, Saka's, uh, A levels. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about, uh, what Harry Maguire, what his, his Nando's order is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to all this sort of build up to add to Mason Mount's favorite Pixar films and Luke Shaw's Lucky Slippers. We're really lucky in this country with the media coverage of the England team. Luke Shaw's Lucky Slippers is definitely a child's book I'll be buying in the future, by the way. And Frank Lampard <laughs> is going to write it. <laughs> <laughs> Not Mourinho, then. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that one, though. And I, 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 I don't know how to feel about this game, as I say. Taylor, um, what, what are your thoughts on this one? I, maybe it'll be more even than I would hope. And obviously, home advantage is going to help England as well. And... I don't, I don't know a prediction. I don't, I don't know what to think at this point. Well, I think I think where I am is I, I wrote down like literally thirty seconds before England get the penalty. I wrote the question: Which of these teams would be more an in, a more interesting matchup in the final versus Italy? And I think that there is an argument that Denmark would have been interesting for the reasons they've been interesting in this tournament. That they're very defensively solid, but then they can hit on the break. If Italy kind of left themselves open to that, that game could go a certain way. And my concern in the moment was that England just seemed like they were not making the smart changes they needed to, not kind of reacting. Uh, with proactive substitutions and proactive play and then that penalty happens and then they take the lead and then they see the game out and get the win and that makes things more optimistic but there is still I think a reality in which Italy caused so many different problems for England and England are caught in a couple different mindsets for the game that they concede one and then they concede two and it's not as competitive as we would have hoped that's where I think the Danes could have made it more interesting. But I think if England approached this one with a sort of cohesive game plan and backup plan, and people aren't being asked to go here in this moment and there in that moment, but then drop in that moment, but then step forward when this is happening, like I think that's where they get into trouble because in these moments, I think simplicity of approach like is fundamental to then allow for improvisation on an individual level. Uh, so I, I really think this could end up being a one-sided game. I also think it could be a really fun back and forth type of game, which probably guarantees that it will be a cagey and foul heavy sort of game. I'm interested how Southgate's going to match up the the midfield because obviously yep. um, England tend to play with this this two, Italy play with a with a, a three, uh, and obviously obviously you know Mount is in there for England, but is he going to be dropped back into the kind of deeper midfield to help deal with that? And then is the is the problem going to be that? that Harry Kane's left isolated and then he drops deeper as he tends to do and then England are left a little bit lacking in, in, in attack when they need to kind of hit out um, on, on, the, on the break. I think that's maybe where the, the key of the match is. It's, and, it's, and it's a challenge that Southgate hasn't had to face up to much in this tournament just through the nature of the teams that England have played so far. I mean, if you, you're looking at the teams that, that probably went with a three in midfield Croatia, um, obviously in the first game, and that England fared pretty well with that. And the, the second game against Scotland, they're one of the few teams who have gone with a three, and, and that game didn't go all that well for England. So it's, it, it's, it's something they've maybe not had to deal with that often, and that's something Italy will throw at them. Now all I can think about is Luke Shaw's lucky slippers, by the way. Um, I'm just thinking of the plot. <laughs> I think it, Mourinho's got to be the villain in there. Um, it probably, the, the, the opening scene is in the dungeon at Old Trafford where Mourinho used to keep him for all those months and months and months. You know, the lucky slippers like, hey, Luke, I'm going to help you get out of here. And the book ends with, um, Roberto Carlos <laughs> commenting on his Instagram feed. That I can't right? notice that. 
I can't have noticed that Graham made a point about England's <laughs> tactics and the potential threat that I genuinely don't know. I don't even have a guess as to how they can solve that one because it's so confusing, but is also kind of all-encompassing and incredibly important. And in response, Ryan just like <laughs> like I feel like Brian Ryan's brain broke a little bit, and he went like right back to like let's just talk about fuzzy slippers. That's that's more optimistic. That's a happier thing than having to figure out how to negate that particular uh, Italy midfield. You're right, Taylor. I am also thinking about Harry Maguire's Nando's order from Graham's uh, comments earlier. (laughs) You're quite right. You're quite right. And on that note, we should probably end this podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for spending the evening with me after a wonderful, wonderful game for myself. Taylor Rockwell, you're wonderful as always. As are you, my friend. Joe Lowry, wonderful as always. Right back at you. Graham Ruthven, I've never been geographically closer to you. I'm coming for that hug. Oh, no, I hadn't even considered that. (laughs) Yup. Bye!